Hey, welcome into the Coach Bo Knows Podcast from the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm Brian O'Connor, Coach Bo. We're recorded live at the undisclosed location of the O'Connor Advisory Group Studios. You can check out all things O'Connor Advisory Group at OAGKS.com. You can interact with the show on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Coach Bo Knows Show. Go check out the Facebook page, Coach Bo Knows. Just search for that. You'll find us there. And this is episode... 32, and uh, I'm going to do some quick hits tonight. We're getting in here. This is Sunday night as I'm recording this. It's actually after midnight, and this will be coming out Monday morning. I wanted to get through uh, the ladies' championship game as well as WrestleMania before I jumped in. We're going to do our WrestleMania review. We're going to talk a little about the semifinals from the Final Four and a little quick preview of Monday night's game. And a little funny anecdote at the end. First, I want to come out the gate strong, and I want to say congratulations to Dawn Staley, the University of South Carolina, go Cox, 64-49. Dawn Staley gets her second national title. The Gamecocks have been dominant. South Carolina wins the NCAA Women's uh, Final Four and the Women's National Championship. And Carol, South Carolina has had an incredible season, 35-2, Wire to wire, the number one team in the country the entire year, from week one to the very end. Um, 14-0 against ranked teams this year. My hat's off to Dawn Staley, the best coach in the country, I think, at the college ladies level. And uh, she has got something phenomenal going at University of South Carolina. So hats off. Congratulations to her. Um, Want to shout out their, their player, uh, the final four most outstanding player, the national player of the year, Aaliyah Boston, uh, had another double-double in the championship game. They were dominant, a 15-point win um, in the game against UConn tonight. And so out the gate, shout-out to Dawn Staley, University of South Carolina Gamecocks, and uh, just my, my hat's off to you. So excited for them. I love it. I mean, you guys know I'm an SEC person. I attended South Carolina for a year, and so I'm really Really happy for the Gamecocks and that that crew over there. So congratulations. They're doing some great things. Want to talk real briefly about um, Saturday's basketball games. Um, Kansas was dominant against Villanova. Um, come out that game, 10-2 run to start, and Villanova just did not have the horses. They weren't built to play from behind. That whole offense, we talked about how they wanted to slow the game down and everything that, took, that came into that. Um, KU was just phenomenal across the board. That game was never, I mean, after the 10-2 run at the beginning, it was never close. Uh, KU had about a 15-point lead at the half. They won by 15. I think it was 18. I can only have the score in front of me. But there was at no point was it in question. Kansas completely dominated Villanova. Kansas has played... I think that we're now down to we're down in North Carolina and Kansas for the national title Monday night. Uh, it'll be exciting. I think these are the two best teams. I'm not saying for the season the two best teams, but they're the two best teams now. They played the season. They you know in North Carolina's case they were struggled at the beginning of the year, and then really got hot late in the season through their conference tournaments and then bam into the big tournament. And like I've been talking for a couple of weeks now, I know that Ellen's disagreed with me on the .5 pod about this quite a bit. I think how you finish is more important than how you start it. I just think it is. You got to look at the whole season, but you really got to see who is the team today. And uh, right now, Kansas, North Carolina, the best two teams. I want to send a shout out to North Carolina. That was a hell of a game. The better game was North Carolina and Duke. And, and I know KU fans might kill me for that, but, I mean, KU, that game was never in doubt. North Carolina Duke was back and forth, back and forth. Coach K, Hubert Davis, back and forth. Um, what I will say about this is UNC, in the end, just played better. Their team was better on that night. They're, they were better coached that night. Where they are today, they are a better team than Duke. He was obviously Coach K's last game. From Duke, um, you know, we've been seeing that. If you're a sports fan at all, you've been looking in all week long. You've heard about, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, his last game, whether that was going to be, you know, Saturday's game or possibly Monday's game. 
I want to thank Hubert Davis and the University of North Carolina for getting all that shit out of the way so that we can enjoy Monday's game. Whether you're rooting for Kansas or North Carolina, I don't care. We, none of, we can all agree on at least we don't have the shadow of Mike Krzyzewski's last game. We don't have to see any more of that in pregame, postgame, or anything else. It was taking too much away from the game itself, from the players and everything else. And so I think we're going to have a really fun Monday night, the national championship game. Uh, obviously, we're here in Lawrence, and it was a madhouse Saturday. It is going to be a madhouse on Monday as Kansas plays for the national title. KU is a four-and-a-half-point favorite against North Carolina, and I think these two teams mirror each other. I think Kansas is a better team. I think Kansas has got a more complete team. But what North Carolina has that Kansas hasn't seen yet is that North Carolina has some bigs who can also play with Kansas's bigs. KU is going to have to have a big game from David from uh, McCormick. They're going to have to have a big game from from um, Jeremy Martin off the bench. They're going to have to have big games all around. Everyone's going to have to play well. This is truly going to be an epic game. I think this is going to be. I think four and a half points is right. I think Kansas is going to win the game, but I think this is going to be a good game throughout. Um, these are just two great teams. There's things about the, both these teams I like. One, they're both playing their best basketball right now. I think that's important. In a tournament style, if your whole season leads up to a tournament, what you did in December, what you did in January, what you did in late November even, it helps you only in that the, the, the quality of play. If you play quality teams in, the, in your preseason, it helps you evolve. It helps you understand if you get down to those teams. But I do think the import, most important parts of the season is when you get into your conference, how you play, and how you consistently play through that. How you play in those last two or three weeks of the season. How you play in your conference tournament. Kansas went through their Big 12 tournament really unscathed and played extremely well. It shows who they are. North Carolina had the bump in the road in their conference tournament but they ended Duke's season, not Duke's season, they did end the Duke's season, but they ended Coach K's, um, you know, last game at home in an embarrassing loss for Duke that North Carolina just handed it to him. And so I think that what you'll see here is you see two teams who have played through some adversity, who have kind of excelled at certain times. They're excelling at their most right now. They're both fairly healthy, and they're both locked in right now. This should be an incredible, incredible game. Um, again, I give the edge to Kansas, but it's only slightly. I think this is going to be a really, really good game. So um, I hope you're watching. I hope you enjoy it. If you're in Lawrence, I hope you get down to Mass Street, especially if they win. Uh, it will be really impressive and a good time. We want you know, everybody to go and enjoy themselves. Be safe if you're going to go out. Um, saw some crazy shit out there this weekend. I'm telling you, folks. But let's get out there and 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 if you're rooting for the Hawks, root for the Hawks. Be safe and enjoy the moment because it's going to be. These are fleeting. You know, you want to say you're going to be there again. Doesn't happen all the time. So enjoy the moment and uh, rock chalk. Go KU. And let's see how it goes. Carolina, uh, Kansas versus North Carolina on Monday night. If you listen to the point five pod, um, you know Ellen and I talked about the basketball, the Final Four coming in, and we talked. Uh, I had Hayden Fallett come on. We talked. We previewed WrestleMania. Uh, here in a moment, we're going to do a we'll do a quick little review of WrestleMania. Uh, I have some thoughts after watching both nights of it. Uh, I got to see what I wanted to see on Saturday, and then watched everything on Sunday. Uh, but before I do, I want to talk about our great sponsor here on the podcast. That's Trunk Club. Uh, Nordstrom Trunk, uh, Trunk Club, it's a great way for everybody, whether you're like me. You're like, I'm a 46-year-old dude, got to get that, get some new stuff. I hate shopping. This is a great way to refresh your wardrobe, get some new stuff. If you've got to go back to your office and you've been you know, at home with COVID, 
times for a while. You want to refresh your stuff. Or maybe you've gotten in shape or maybe you've gained a few pounds and you need to change up that what you wanted out in your closet. Trunk Club's a great way to do it. Listen, our listeners are going to get $50 off their first trunk from Trunk Club. In the show notes, there's a link. Click on the link. It'll take you straight to Trunk Club. Get in there. Have fun with it. I recommend the starter trunk. If you've never done it before, it's a great way. They have 10 basic foundation pieces for all wardrobe needs. Get in there. Enjoy it. And uh, don't forget to use the link in our show notes for Trunk Club. One last thing on the Final Four before I jump out of it and go into WrestleMania. And that is, um, I always talked, I talked, mentioned earlier real quick about, you know, Duke, no Coach K now. I do want to talk about Hubert Davis for a minute. Hubert Davis becomes the new coach of North Carolina when Roy Williams abruptly retires. And I got to tell you, I heard Beaumont Jones said last week on his podcast that uh, before uh, the Final Four, he said, man, Hubert Davis should retire right now. Before the Final Four, saying, hey, man, you beat Coach K in his last home game. It won't get any better than that. Well, Bomani was half right in that it doesn't get much better than beating Coach K in his last home game unless beating him again in the Final Four in his last game. That's got to feel great. So, Hubert Davis, I will say this. If you now have you beaten Coach K in his last home game, you've beaten Coach K in the Final Four, if you can beat Coach, if you do win the national title, um, if you win the national title, hang it up. It's not going to get any better. I'm not saying don't chase it. Don't you know? We all know that winning's like a drug. Once you have it, you keep. want to. You want to get it more and more. But man, I don't know how it could get any better than the month that Hubert Davis has had. Uh, if he pulls it off on Monday night and UNC beats Kansas. That's a really good month. And I'll tell you, if you've got enough money in the bank and you're not worried about anything else, it's a great time to walk off, tip your hat, and say, you're welcome, folks, and take on off. But uh, jokes aside, I hope it's a great game Monday night. Uh, I'll be rooting for Kansas. Again, you know, we have a friend of the show, Coach Quarterbot, on here, and we'll hopefully have him again soon after the season's over. Uh, you can't help but root for that, that positive guy. He's like the best dude ever. And then I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough the last few weeks to meet a lot of the players and I'm telling you, there's a lot of guys that like on this Kansas team. Everybody I've had some kind of interaction with has been, I mean, just kind, nice. Um, I really liked all of them. So that's because what's kind of got me to change my tune a little bit on the Kansas basketball has been kind of all of these things coming together at once. So uh, I'm rooting for him. I hope it's a great night here in Lawrence on Monday night. Want to talk a little bit about WrestleMania. If you are listening on the point five, you know, Hayden came on and we talked about WrestleMania and you know Hayden's more of an AEW guy than a WWE guy. Um, what I want to talk about on WrestleMania is there was the, there's some winners and some losers. Some things happened. I thought overall, I thought especially Sunday's show was much better than I thought it was going to be. There was some stuff I didn't like. There was some stuff I did like. Um... First and foremost, I just got done talking to Tyler Jones, who was our correspondent out at WrestleMania Sunday night. He actually went to his first WWE event and actually attended WrestleMania Sunday night. Um, and he was blown away by a few things. Now, again, Tyler Jones from the Jones Report here on the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm on there every Thursday with him doing Coach Bo's Football Fix. If you're not listening to that podcast, you're missing something. Tyler and his co-host Thomas Bridges are great. But Tyler hit me with a couple of things. And, you know, he's a media guy. He's a true media guy. You know, I'm just an asshole, you know, ex-high school coach who's sitting here doing a podcast. But Tyler really was impressed by a few things. Number one thing he told me he was impressed by was production value. And I 100% agree with him. WWE's production value is unlike anybody else. I mean, it is, I think, even better than, like, the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. I, I just what they do is incredible. Whether it's the pyro, the music, just everything, the show, and especially a big show like WrestleMania, it feels like a big show. And it really felt that way watching. Um, I kind of zoomed through a lot of Saturday night. I did watch a lot of it, but I zoomed through parts of it. And um, what I saw, 
some of it I really like. Some of it as a wrestling fan, I didn't care for at all. But that's just me. That's just who I am. There's certain things I don't like in wrestling right now. Um, and WWE has a little bit of that. Let's get to it. Some of the big stuff that happened. Um, obviously, the biggest news of the weekend was the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin. That he had a, uh, they called it the KO show with Kevin Owens on Saturday night. And which turned into a no-holds-barred match. They did have a match. Steve Austin won the match with a stunner um, to a big ovation. He had the biggest ovation of the weekend. Uh, you can tell that Steve Austin is in the pantheon of wrestling. You know, he, he, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, those are like the three guys that the crowd just, they're at a different level than everybody else. And Austin is even higher than the rest. Even into the wrestling fans, he's bigger than The Rock. In the rest of the world, he's not, clearly. The Rock is the biggest movie star in the world. But Steve Austin is Steve Austin. He's just different. And to hear the roar of the crowd, it reminded me of, you know, the late 90s. It kind of brought that old school feel back for me. And I really was, I kind of missed that. It was kind of cool to see. Um... Having said that, I thought a lot of what they did, him and Kevin Owens, and I think Kevin Owens was the perfect foil for him. Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens sold his ass off Steve Austin. Um, I thought they went a little bit long, got a little bit gimmicky, but I thought that overall it's what made fans happy. You know, you see Steve Austin go out there and play the hits, the the Stone Cold Stunner, the stomping of the, you know, stomping a mud hole in the guy's ass, you know, by you know kicking him in the corner. Uh, he did a lot of that, and then, of course, the beers at the end of the show and all that stuff from each of the turnbuckles. It was just kind of an old-school feel. It was really cool. Um, it was not my, I thought, was the best part of Saturday night. I thought it was good. But the best part of Saturday night, as we predicted, the surprise opponent for Seth Rollins was Cody Rhodes, who had been, if you don't know the story, Cody Rhodes, the son of the legendary Dusty Rhodes, who happened to be my childhood favorite favorite wrestler, um, made a comeback and came back to the WWE after six years. He when he left the WWE after having to portray a character he wasn't happy with called Stardust, wasn't very happy with the character, left, went to the independents and Ring of Honor and New Japan, and then eventually he was one of the catalysts that helped start AEW Wrestling, the now biggest competitor to WWE here in the United States. And the interesting thing about it is he was one of the executive vice presidents. So he was given a title similar to what Triple H is behind the scenes in the WWE, or at least has been up until recently. Um, so he walked away from that to come back to the WWE after a contract dispute and I found it interesting that Cody was brought back. They used the Cody Rhodes name, the American Nightmare. They used the symbol, his, his catchphrase, or his, uh, um, his nickname, the American Nightmare. Uh, they even used the same music that he had in AEW. So I'm assuming that Cody must own that or has bought the rights to that in some way. Um, but I thought he and Seth Rollins, I thought they had the best match of the weekend. I did. It was the best match of the weekend. Um, I thought that Seth was pretty good. I thought Cody was excellent. Uh, I'm going to get into this on the point five, and we're going to try to have Hayden get back in here possibly, but we're going to talk specifically about this at some point, the difference between Cody and the other vice presidents in AEW. And I thought it was glaring when watching him in WWE and how the top guys in WWE – or they could go to AEW and be top guys, but the top guys in AEW cannot necessarily be big guys in WWE, aside from CM Punk and Brian Danielson, and I do think MJF, but I'm not going to go on all that tonight. WrestleMania, I thought Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins was by far the best part of Saturday night. I thought Austin and Kevin Owens was the second best part. Um, those were kind of the winners to me, of Saturday night. For Sunday night, I thought the winners, the first winner to me was Pat McAfee. I thought Pat McAfee's match with Austin Theory could not have been better. 
Um, one, I think Austin Theory is incredible. He's a young cat who's got superstar written all over him. Um, Good-looking kid, but knows how to actually wrestle-wrestle. Like, an old-school guy like me can appreciate what he does. And I thought Pat McAfee was great. I didn't like how they clouded it up. So what they did was Pat McAfee won the match. As part of the storyline, Austin Theory is Vince McMahon's protege and hand-picked guy. So Vince McMahon's at ringside the whole match. And then Vince, I thought they were going to see Vince McMahon get mad at Austin Theory, kind of hit him or punch him or do something. Instead, Pat McAfee challenges Vince McMahon to a match. They ring a bell. They have a bunch of hurrahs. Vince McMahon ends up pinning Pat McAfee. But then, of course, at the end, the glass breaks. Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out. You know, Vince McMahon's biggest rival, the biggest rivalry in the history of wrestling. You know, everything that went from 1996 to 2000, how they won the war with WCW, Austin McMahon. And Austin does all the hits with Vince McMahon. You know, that gives him the stunner. Vince McMahon did a horrible job of selling that stunner, by the way. It was like a dead fish. Um, they did the beer bath, the whole shebang. Uh, then Pat McAfee joins Austin in the ring at Austin's request. And then, of course, at the end, Steve Austin stuns Pat McAfee, as he always does. Don't trust the rattlesnake, as they say. Uh, but I thought Pat McAfee was the biggest winner of Sunday. Uh, the second biggest winner to me was Roman Reigns. Uh, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar did not disappoint. It was a great main event. Um, I was a little annoyed at the beginning. They didn't ease into the match at all. Like the first probably 10 moves were their finishing moves. It was Brock trying to do the F5. It was Brock doing the suplexes. It was Roman doing the Superman punch, which all of them looked terrible, by the way. Roman did not do a good job with those. Um, Roman Reigns in the spear. They do the one move outside the ring that you know as soon as they're going outside the ring, they're going to do a thing where Roman's going to spear Brock through the barricade. And they get the Jimmy up the barricade where it's loose and they go through it. Um, but in the end, Roman Reigns wins the match. A little bit of chicanery, no interference, so to speak, but some chicanery with, you know, kicking the, hitting the ref and uh, Paul Heyman pushes the rope in order for Reigns to get it, to get out of one of the uh, submission holds, but uh, Roman wins. What I didn't like about it was the immediacy of the end of it. This happened Saturday with Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair's match as well. It seemed disjointed at the very, very end, a tippy at the end. Um, Roman and Brock seemed to have that, and Ronda and Charlotte Flair had that on Saturday night. And I think I figured out what it was. I couldn't quite put my eye, my, 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 finger on it when I was watching it Saturday night, but I put my finger on it tonight when I was watching it, and that's the way they switch the camera angles. So often, WWE changes camera angles so fast. They'll just snap of a finger. They're changing it because they're trying to hide, you know, they don't want punches or kicks or wrestling moves to look phony, so they shift the angles. It's supposed to give you more of a jarring feeling, but I think because of that in the production value, I think it hurt both those matches. They made it look too quick at the end. Didn't quite let them finish the story in a way to help the winner and actually in both cases to help the loser, that being Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey. Um, so I wanted to get on that. The other match I thought was pretty good, uh, Edge and AJ Styles, they delivered as an old school guy guy that likes my wrestling, it's wrestling, it's not, it's not phony, it's not, you know, Cirque du Soleil kind of bullshit stuff. Uh, we see a lot of that shit in AEW, and we see it in WWE as well. Uh, we didn't see a lot of it in Edge versus AJ Styles. And I'll tell you what it is. They keep their ass in the ring, and they wrestle a match. And I was talking to Tyler Jones afterwards, and he said that things that jumped off the page with him was, one, he thought that match was really good. He thought Roman and Brock was good. Uh, he said he thought Pat McAfee was a star. But he asked me, he says, why don't, why doesn't WWE treat every match like Edge and AJ, like Roman and Brock? And I thought that was a really great question. 
And it's because too many people like the flips and the little guy stuff. Uh, when Hayden was on on Thursday, he brought up Rey Mysterio by name. And he said the most influential wrestler in the last 20 years of wrestling is Rey Mysterio because these little guys, smaller guys, the guys who aren't the big jacked up muscle men are now able to wrestle because of that style. And I argue that's true in a way. But what I also will argue is, it's put a lot of people in wrestling who probably shouldn't be. And I think a lot of people are, a lot of fans, want to see that flippy floppy kind of stuff, the off the top rope, and they want less of a story being told through a match. I myself don't like that. I want to see the story. Roman and Brock had a story. McAfee and Austin Theory had a story. Um, Seth and Cody on Saturday told a story. Even Austin and Kevin Owens told a story on Sunday. And I think that that's a big part of it. I think I think part of it is WWE doesn't allow certain people to tell a story. And certainly that argument is out there. But I, I think that when the day is up, the difference between the good stuff and the bad stuff is that the good stuff tells a story. I mean, Pat McAfee and Austin Theory are not Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, but they told a better story when it was all said and done. And that's the guy who's an, who's an announcer and a guy who's a 24-year-old, I don't want to call him a rookie, but a young wrestler. And you have to have an opportunity to get there, but man, those two guys got their opportunity and did something with it. That's my winners for WrestleMania. I'm going to tell you my losers. <clears throat> Biggest losers to me was anybody who's a fan of these bullshit celebrity stuff. And I'm going to set Pat McAfee aside from that because he's actually an announcer and a trained wrestler. But Johnny Knoxville getting in the ring with Sami Zayn was the most asinine thing I've seen in quite a while. And I just thought it was pathetic. I thought it was stupid. I thought it was ignorant. I thought every little part of that, from them bringing in the little person, the wee man, I guess is his name, and they brought in all the other jabroni people from Jackass, I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was stupid. It didn't tell a story. It was just kind of, for lack of a term, better term, it was just jerking off in a wrestling ring. It was doing a bunch of silly shit for the sake of doing silly shit. And I think that was just ridiculous. I thought the Logan Paul with the Miz versus the Mysterios was also just piss poor. I thought Logan Paul added nothing to it. He's supposed to be a celebrity. I don't even know how these guys became celebrities. So first off, fuck him. Um, the Miz, I don't think he's a great wrestler, but he's, he's apt to tell a story. He's just an obnoxious guy who is somewhat athletic. But the worst part to me was the Mysterios. Rey Mysterio is an incredible, was an incredible wrestler. He's someone who was, I mean, kind of inactive is better than saying retired. And he came back because his son Dominic is now a wrestler. He wants to give his Dominic the rub. Um, but there's just no reason they should be in the ring. Rey looks slow. He looks old, and he is old now. I mean, he's not the 25-year-old Rey Mysterio that was dominating and just kicking ass on WCW Nitro in 1997. You know, Rey Mysterio is near 50 years old now. His son is an active wrestler. And Dominic Mysterio is just a waste of goddamn space. I, there is no way I would hire this guy to be a wrestler for me. If I owned AEW or WWE... I wouldn't let this guy be my guy if I if I would Ring of Honor. I mean, just it, he would not be on. I would not put him on television as a wrestler. There is nothing about Dominic Mysterio that makes me want to watch or care for him. I think Ray is obviously there to try to help his son to help him build a career. You know, God bless him. I'm a father too. If I could do something to help my kid, I would. But I thought it was horrible. I thought it was absolutely horrible. That match, all the participants, they're all losers as far as I'm concerned. The next loser to me was Ronda Rousey. And this hurts me to say. 
Ronda Rousey had a match with Charlotte Flair. Now, if you know me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Ronda Rousey fan. I've, she was incredible in the UFC. I, I loved her. She's acted. I thought she's been pretty good. She has that tough girl to her. Well, she's also a very attractive woman. Um, you know, she has this tough kind of cool babe thing to her. But this run in WWE has not been good to her. And this match with Charlotte Flair was not good. Um, Charlotte Flair, to me, is incredible. I think she's the best women's wrestler I've ever seen. Absolutely the best. I think she's Bret Hart. She's that good. She's as good at wrestling as her father is. And I think she can play both a, a, a heel, you know, a bad guy, or babyface a good a good girl, a good guy, good guy, good girl, however you want to put it. Um, she's better at the heel part to me. But even she could not carry Ronda Rousey through that match. I was talking to people, talked about it here on Thursday. Uh, on Friday, I'm sorry, on Friday's podcast, I said with Hayden, you know, hey, I'm not worried about Charlotte and Ronda because Charlotte will carry that match if she has to. And Charlotte did every goddamn thing she could to carry that match. Ronda looked disjointed. She didn't look like, I don't want to say she didn't look she didn't want to be there. I'm far from it. But I just think she wasn't as ready for a big-time match. I don't think she felt it. And I think there was nothing Charlotte could have done to save that match. I don't think it was very good at all. And I just, they didn't tell a story. The story fell flat. The pin was kind of disjointed. I do think part of the end being disjointed was production. I don't think it's all on them on that case. But I do think that Ronda could have been a lot better. Ronda Rousey should be to the women what Brock Lesnar is to the men. And she really hasn't been. This whole thing of her coming out and smiling more and waving to the crowd and being the sweet person, that's not who Ronda Rousey is. We want the baddest bitch, Ronda Rousey, as she put it, in her UFC days and in her early WWE days. That's who we want to see. Not this watered-down version. And, uh, you know, when she came in the WWE at first, you know, she was Rowdy Ronda Rousey, and she was the kind of the, the female Rowdy Roddy Piper, which, I mean, if you know me, you know I'm a huge Roddy Piper guy. But, and she kind of had that feel to her. She had the good guy Roddy Piper feel to her. But, man, this, this, this run's been disjointed, and it's not been good. And I think a lot of that has to do with the storytelling and the writing and I think that, obviously, it's come from the top from Vince McMahon behind the scenes. Hey, smile more, do this, do that. It's the absolute wrong idea with Ronda Rousey. So that was my last loser. Again, I think that's not all, not all on her, but I don't think she did any, in herself any favors at WrestleMania this year. A few extra thoughts here. These are neither winners nor losers, but I think that I just talked about Ronda and Charlotte. I said it wasn't bad. It wasn't the worst match I've seen, but it just wasn't great. And I think the same thing with the Bianca Blair and Becky Lynch. I think that WWE has these ladies pigeonholed into these characters, and they don't want them to come out of that. Um, I don't think WWE can decide what they want to do with Becky Lynch. I think that WWE is so pressed in making Ronda and Charlotte the biggest two, but the two women who have gotten themselves over, that being Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair, they're not getting the run that the other two have. Now, I think, again, I think Charlotte's the best ever. Becky Lynch got herself over in the biggest of big-time ways, but her character now, big-time Bex, I don't get it. I don't think it's good. I know they can't use the man. I thought that was really good. They can't use the man because of a lawsuit with Ric Flair. Ric Flair is trying to grab all the money he can because he didn't save any when he was an active wrestler. But I, I don't think that the, the way they're driving some of these characters, I think that because of the way that WWE is writing these characters, it still comes off a little flat. I think Bianca Belair is incredible. I think she's athletic. I think she's someone you can see doing things off of wrestling, whether that's television or movies. I think the same thing with Charlotte. I, I, Charlotte Flair, to me, if we go back a step, I think she's a, 
if she wanted to be, could be a huge Hollywood action movie star. But again, I think she's she wants to be a she wants to be a wrestler first, and she wants to be her father. She wants to be better than her father. And Ric Flair, to me, is the greatest wrestler of all time. But uh, I, I think that Charlotte has much more natural athletic ability than her father does. And But I think that the limitations to these ladies right now, especially those top four, are the writing. The writing's been piss poor last few months. Um, the other things I was kind of disjointed and I didn't like about the, the matches were the tag team matches. We had a triple threat for the men in the tag team titles match, and then you had a four-way in the ladies match, and it just... It's too cluttered. Why are we here? Why do we have eight women in the match when we should have four? Why do we have six men when we have two? And why does it look like a fucking train wreck? You know you know what that is? It's taking the old ECW style and bringing that shit forward. And it's because we got to get everybody on the card. Everybody has to work either Saturday or Sunday at WrestleMania. There's better ways to do that. Uh, maybe you didn't have to show so many goddamn highlights on Sunday of Saturday's matches. Maybe we can cut down on some things in certain places. Um, I just didn't like it at all, either of those two matches. Uh, and I, I don't think it was the workers. It was not the workers, not any of them, in either of those two matches. But definitely those matches were not great. The last one I'm going to talk about in... <laughs> Uh, uh, bear with me on this. I'm going to kind of put this out there in a weird way. We had Bobby Lashley in Omos. Or Omos. Right? I guess Omos. Anyway, um, Omos is seven foot something. They, they say seven four, but who the hell knows? WWE could say seven four, and he's actually seven foot. So I will say I was at a WWE event back in the fall, back in like August. So I guess it's late summer. And we saw Omos. I guess it's Omos. We saw him... In person, he is humongous. He's bigger than the Big Show. He's, he's he's an Andre the Giant kind of size guy. And when you see this man come out, it's hard to take your eyes off him. That's a good thing. It's a damn good thing. The problem is, the writing for him is awful. And they hurried their this, this match. They basically had Bobby Lashley come out on Monday to challenge Omos to a match on Sunday at WrestleMania. It used to be you built these matches up for a few weeks. There was a reason they were going to have a match and not just, you know, Omos walking around like a mummy and saying, no one can beat me. And then out comes Bobby Lashley saying, hey, I'm healthy. I can beat you. Um, Bobby Lashley, to me, looks incredible. Um, I like the idea with him and MVP better than him without MVP. I love what they did when they were the, the dressed up, the suits. They look good. You know, it's kind of the Deion Sanders. You look good, you feel good, you play good. Um, it made them look like villains. They made them look like heels. Um, they didn't want that for this match because Lashley went over in the match, which is fine. Didn't have a problem with that. But I think it was asking too much of Lashley to do a build-up in six days to wrestle Omos. That should have been six months. That should have been Omos beating people consistently. Not every week, but every other week. He has a match no one's close to him. Then we see him two weeks later, and he beats somebody else. No one's running with him at all. No one can knock the big man off. They kept saying no one can knock the big man off his feet. We didn't hear that until Monday. And then... Bobby Lashley challenges him. No, you make that challenge over time. Over time, you build him, build him, build him. Then, three, four weeks out, Bobby Lashley comes out, says, "Not only can I beat, can I, can I knock you down? I can beat you, and I will beat you. And maybe you do something in there where he knocks him down, knock him over the ropes, out to the outside of the ring, whatever it might be." But why am I writing this? And they got a whole shitload of room full of writers, and they can't get that right. Um, I understand Lashley was hurt. That's probably just the last-minute thing to get that onto the card. But I didn't think it looked good. I didn't think it was built well. And I think it just kind of goes to show where WWE is in two different ways. One, 
They really don't seem to put a lot of thought into the stories and the storylines. And two, they've done a really poor job of building new wrestlers. They're building people moving forward. Hayden and I talked about this on Friday's podcast on the Point Five, that you look at Bobby Lashley, you look at Roman Reigns, you look at Brock Lesnar, you look at um, Edge and AJ Styles, Randy Orton, these guys are all 40 and up. I think Roman may not be 40 yet, but the rest of them are all over 40 years old. Many of them are close to 50. You know, Edge, I think, is 50. Or is damn close. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Who is the next superstar? Now, they got Roman, and Roman Reigns is in the prime right now. He is what John Cena was five years ago. That's who Roman Reigns is. But who's the next guy? You know, if you want to look at the formula, when wrestling became the boom of the 1980s, it was Hulk Hogan, and you fed him the guys to fight. A few years later, for a couple of years, you had the Ultimate Warrior. You fed him guys. You had to build people to then fight the Ultimate Warrior. Then the next group, you had the Bret Hart's of the world, the Shawn Michaels of the world, where they were going to overcome the bigger, badder guy. Steve Austin and The Rock kind of flipped that a little bit. They were just these over-the-top personalities. They were good wrestlers. The Undertaker, the same kind of thing. But you had built characters over time. And it was believable. It was believable that Triple H could fight The Rock. Triple H could fight Steve Austin. The Undertaker could fight Steve Austin. You know, that kind of thing. There's nobody left. There's nobody left, and whenever they try to have big matches, whether it's their Saudi Arabia pay-per-view things they do every couple times a year or WrestleMania, they have to call on Steve Austin to come back. They have to induct The Undertaker into the Hall of Fame. They have to bring in Edge to fight AJ Styles. Uh, Brock Lesnar will be brought back for this last year to fight Roman Reigns. You know, it's going to come a time they're going to have to build somebody. I think they should build Austin Theory. Finn Balor was not on WrestleMania. I didn't even realize this, and my son Peyton was watching with me tonight, and he said, did you realize that Finn Balor is the Intercontinental Champion, and he's not even on WrestleMania? I had no idea. And I thought about it, and I was like, wait a minute. The other one is Ricochet. is either the, either the U.S. Champion or the Intercontinental Champion. I get them mixed up. But neither of those two champions are on WrestleMania. How do you build those guys if they don't have good matches in WrestleMania before making them main event guys? If you want Ricochet or Finn Balor or Omos or Austin Theory, if you want these people to become your next big stars, you've got to do something to help them. You've got to get them in the spots where they become stars. I think they did it with Austin Theory, great with the McAfee thing. I think they're doing something there. But they've done a piss-poor job of building people, really, for the last couple of years. And, I mean, you think about it, the only people they really built the last few years, they they built Kofi Kingston a little bit, they built Daniel Bryan a little bit, you know, but those people got over because of the fans. The fans willed Daniel Bryan into WrestleMania you know, championship matches. And really did for Kofi Kingston. And then they kill him by running him into Brock Lesnar and just make it to where it's not credible. Because they can't write the stories well enough. So some parts of WrestleMania really... There was some good stuff. There was some bad stuff. There was some stuff that was going to... Eh. But what I will say WWE does much better than AEW is the production quality. The big feel of the show... They make a show feel bigger than AEW every single time. There's just some more of an event to it. And WrestleMania did not disappoint in that way. There was some good. There was some bad. Overall, I'd give it a solid C plus, B minus. I don't think it was great. Didn't think it was terrible. It was a little better than average. The production pieces were good for the most part. I think four or five things I really liked. Four or five things I really despised. And then a lot of it in the middle was just, I don't think it's on the performers. I think it's kind of how the the whole system is set up right now. 
Um, you know, and WWE is trying to build people through their NXT uh, program. They've built up Braun Breaker. We'll see him soon, I assume. But a lot of the guys that WWE has let go in the last year, Daniel Bryan, who's now Bryan Danielson again, uh, Adam Cole, a few of these other guys, Keith Lee. WWE should have kept Keith Lee. Keith Lee should have had a match on WrestleMania this year against another mid-guy who he beats the hell out of, and he challenges Roman Reigns tomorrow on Raw. They're saying, hey, I got next. That's what you do. But if you can't make those decisions and you're not thinking about that, and I know WWE's thinking about, you know, there's the sale. The sale is the thing right now. You know, the behind the scenes, they're trying to sell that company. You know, Comcast Universal is going to buy that company at some point, put a couple billion dollars in Vince McMahon's pocket, and he's going to retire and go off in the sunset. But until then, they've got to build characters. And they've got to make that show not just the level of production that it is, but make the quality of the show itself good. And that's where they're lacking right now. So just a few thoughts from me on that. I'm going to end with a quick one. Um, obviously, we've got the KU you, uh, in North Carolina game. It's going to be Monday night. If you're hearing this on Monday, you'll be watching it Monday night. If you hear it after Monday, the game will be over. Quick fun fact. I thought I'd find I saw this. My man, Mattress Mac, is at it again. If you don't know who Mattress Mac is, Mattress Mac is uh, Jim uh, McInvale. He is the owner of Gallery Furniture in Houston, Texas. The Gallery Furniture stores have been around since, well, as my dad would say, since Jesus had short pants. They've been around my entire life. He is a multi-multi-millionaire, and he loves to gamble on sports. Um, turns out that Mattress Mac made a couple of bets last week going into the Final Four. Mattress Mac made a $3.3 million bet through the Caesar Sportsbook that's going to pay him at a plus 190, it pays him $6.2 million, and then made a second bet with the Barstool Sportsbook of $2.2 million, to win $4.2 million, again, at the beginning of the Final Four, and he bet the money on Kansas. So he got plus 190. He's bet a total of $5.5 million. If he wins, he wins $10.4 million. Now, here's what I think is interesting about this. So Mattress Mac did a deal. You know, we see gallery furniture. A lot of these furniture stores and places, they'll see this occasionally. They'll make um, these kind of deals Mattress Mac did it a few years ago at the Houston Astros. Said if the Astros win the World Series, if you spend, it was like $3,000 or $2,000 at the time or more, you get your purchase for free. One year, the year the Astros won the World Series, he had to pay it off. Now, what he did personally was most of the time what these companies do is they go to a company, an underwriting company. Uh, usually they go to the one that Warren Buffett owns. And they insure it with an insurance policy. And they say, hey, we'll give you, you know, half a million dollars or whatever it is. Cover this bet for us. Basically saying, you know, if this thing happens, we need the money. They, they buy an insurance policy. They know the odds are long that this is not going to happen. So they get it with an insurance policy. Mattress Mac is not how he rolls. He does not want to buy the insurance. Mattress Mac is a good old boy from Texas. And what he decided to do... He did this the year that the Astros won the World Series. Was every time the Astros kept winning a series, moving up to the World Series, he kept betting more money on the Astros to win. Knowing that if he won, he was taking that money he was earning and going to cover all the losses of the business. They were to pay back to their customers. Well, Mattress Mac was at it again. He ran a promotion that guaranteed customers that bought $3,000 or more furniture their money back if the University of Texas won it all. Now, the promo also featured an added wrinkle. This is from the Las Vegas Journal Review. If Texas didn't make the Final Four, they didn't, customers would get the team located closest to Mattress Max store in Houston. Guess who that is? That's the University of Kansas. So, 
after the Elite Eight, Mattress Mac bet $5.5 million to cover, in this case, to win him $10.4 million, which will cover the losses of what he'll have to give back to his customers if the Jayhawks win the Final Four. So now if you're a gallery furniture customer down in Houston, Texas, you're rooting for the Jayhawks. I find it funny, and I find it humorous, and I wanted to bring it up because Mattress Mac's done this before. I mentioned the Astros, and he won it big with the Astros a couple of years ago. But he hasn't had a good good run so far in 2022. Uh, in early 2022, he actually bet a large amount of money on Alabama to win the national title against Georgia. He obviously lost that one. He also bet a huge sum of money on the Bengals to beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Uh, he lost both those bets. So, you know, Jayhawk Nation, I hope that Mattress Mac does not bring bad luck. I hope it's not a Mattress Mac curse. I uh, hope that the $5.5 million that Mattress Mac's put on this is going to pay off. I hope that a lot of people down in Texas are going to get some free furniture. And I hope the Jayhawks win, the, win, this, thing on, win this thing on Monday night. So, Thanks a lot. That's going to be the Coach Bo Knows podcast for today. We're going to get up out of here in a moment. I want to say thank you. I also send a huge thank out, uh, thank you to Tyler Jones, uh, not only for what he does behind the scenes, but I really enjoyed chatting with him about WrestleMania. I wanted to hear it. He's going to come on hopefully next week. I will be on Tyler's podcast on Thursday, The Jones Report. Check it out. Everywhere you get our podcast, you can get The Jones Report with Tyler Jones and Tom Bridges. I'll be on there to do my segment, the Coach the Coach Bo's Football Fix. We'll also talk a little bit about WrestleMania. He asked me to do that tonight. We'll get that done. And so I want to thank him for all he does behind the scenes. He's the producer. He's the one that makes me sound good and does everything for me here. I really appreciate Tyler and everything he does. Most importantly, I want to thank you, the listener. Without you, without you, thank you, the listener. Without you guys, I don't do this. But I really appreciate it. It gives me a great place to put out this info and to have some fun with this. So I need a couple favors. First off, if you're if you're so inclined, check out our sponsor. Check out Trunk Club. We are working on a couple more sponsors. If you would like to sponsor the Coach Bonos podcast, reach out to us at coachbonosshow at gmail.com. We definitely can talk to you about that. Also, uh, we're going to have a couple new ones coming up. We'll be talking about that here more specifically in the next couple of weeks. But what else you could do is you could help us. You could rate us and review us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, rate us, review us, give us five stars. The reason it helps so much is that it helps us through the search. If you search Coach Bo in Apple Podcasts, I do come up first. But if you search sports, obviously we're going to be further down. We want to get to as many people as possible, spread our message, spread our love to everybody. So we appreciate every five-star review. Till next time, now on Friday on the Point Five Pod, I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. Have a great week. Remember your time tokens are non-refundable. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Go KU. Yes, I said that. Have a great week. Be safe, Jayhawk fans, on Monday night. Go enjoy Mass Street when you win this thing. But be safe. Have fun. Go Hawks.